0: Now let's let's really give the Lord a real applause. Come on, Father. We bless you. We love you. We honor you. You are great. There'll never be anyone like you. You are great in every way. We honor you tonight. We honor you. Holy Spirit, we honor you. We honor you. We honor you in this place. Amen, Lord. Amen. Wonderful. Please be seated. Thank you and John and Edie, thanks for having us, and we just feel so privileged and honored to be with you, and especially at this conference. I was this afternoon in our room thinking about Canberra. Of course, we think about Canberra a lot since our son-in-law and daughter and our five grandchildren moved here in January to pastor, And uh, they're pastoring Imaginations Church here. I think they're in the building tonight. I'm not sure. Oh, they're right there. Joe and Dave, why don't you guys just stand up? Yeah. Jesus said, "Where where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, all five of our little grandchildren are here. And so our treasure is in Canberra. My heart is in Canberra. So... We, we just feel privileged and honored. But thinking today about this city and about the church in this city and just, you know, thoughts on my heart, how that this is the church in Australia that's at the pointy end of the spear because Canberra is like the city in Australia that's at the pointy end of the spear. This is the seat of, of government. This is the seat of Power, policies, and this is, this is the seat of principalities. And so the church in this city, in many ways, leads the way for the church in the rest of the nation. If there was ever a city where the church of Jesus is to shine, it's in this city. And it's not just for this city, it's for the rest of the church in our nation. All, we may be in bigger cities, Sydney's a, a bigger city, but it's not the seat of power like this city. And so, and, and you know, John, I, and, and, the, and the pastors that, that, that are here, Matt and Steve and others, that, that this conference, I really feel is prophetic. Now, I don't mean that this is a prophetic conference or a conference where the prophetic comes forth. I mean the very act of pastors gathering together in unity with the generations that have gathered here, with the sons of... That's prophetic. That's prophetic. And I just, tonight, was sitting here with this dream in my heart for you guys that the Lord will take this conference. It's been... You've been faithful to it for six years, thick and thin, COVID and yuck, yuck, and everything else, and yet steady as, going forward, sowing, being faithful. And I'm asking the Lord to add a zero... To the number that this conference will grow to. And if this conference is normally running three or four or five hundred. God will add a zero to that. And that this prophetic conference with more churches joining. More generations joining. And make make an, an even greater statement. Not only to our nation's capital. But to the church. The rest of the church that's in Australia. So would you please reach your hand out towards me. And pray for me. In as i share with these next few moments father uh, we feel in many ways that we are on holy ground because we have we are here in the name of the lord jesus and the holy spirit is present and you holy spirit are ooh you're everything and we we love you and i need you so much right now holy spirit to help me please help me talk and please help me say the things that you would have me say, and let the word just come alive in us. And Lord, we're not really here to see a preacher or a man. We really would like to see Jesus. We really would like to see the the moving of God. That's what we would really like to see. And so that's what we're asking for tonight. And help I pray in Jesus' name, amen. A.W. Tozier said that a frightened world Needs a fearless church. And how many know the world is is frightened? What the world has been through is unprecedented. Uh, It's almost like everything that can be shaken has been shaken, and there's still a whole lot of shaking going on. And a frightened world needs a fearless church. And so what does a fearless church look like? I mean, the, 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 what, what is a courageous church? You know, the, the world does not need a confused church. The world may be confused, but it doesn't need a church to be confused. And the world doesn't need a compromised church. Honestly. And, and, you know, I used to, you know, a lot of my thinking is, yeah, but what the world, you know, really needs is a contemporary and a cool church. Well, maybe, but it needs a courageous church much more than that. A courageous church and a fearless church. And so what does a fearless church look like? And I know one of the things that a fearless church looks like is that it's a church that's not afraid to follow Jesus, to follow him. The church in the Western world does not ask people to follow Jesus. We ask people to believe in Jesus. We ask people to pray a prayer and raise their hand and believe in Jesus. But the problem, of course, is that we have many who believe in him, but not many who behave like him. And this city and this world does not care what we believe. It cares how we behave. And to follow Christ, to follow him, not just believe him, not just believe in Him. This city doesn't... It's not just to believe in Jesus. It's to be Jesus in our city. To be like Jesus in our community. In our, co- in our schools. To follow Christ. I mean, to believe. Well, who, who wouldn't believe? How cool is that? I get heaven. I get eternal life. I get all my sins forgiven. And all I have to do is raise my hand. And I get a future and a hope. I'm in. But to follow Christ is to be like Christ. And Paul wrote this to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it says this. Can you see that on the screen? Look. Well, that's a nice-looking screen. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to believe in his Son. So this, Sorry? I don't... I don't... My, my glasses... Let me read that again. Stay with me now. You can't believe, you don't have to believe everything the preacher says. You just have to believe everything the word says. Okay? Okay? So for God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many sons and daughters, among many brothers and sisters who were just like him. Many brothers and sisters who not only believe in him, but are becoming like him. You know what? I can believe in Jesus and still be unkind to you. But I cannot follow Jesus and still be unkind to you. And Paul wrote this to the Macedonian church in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 15, become, become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, right smack dab in the middle, right in the midst of a crooked culture, crooked canceled COVID culture, and I can't think of any more C's. In the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation, right there, right there. The church of Jesus is not to be hid away trying to protect itself from the world. The church, he says, to, sh- to be blameless and harmless, <laughs> children of God without fault, right in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation whose as can be within its thoughts and its philosophies and its ideas. A perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's what followers of Jesus Christ are all about. Shining as light. We don't sit back and and, and criticize the darkness. We shine as lights. We shine in this darkness. Jesus said in John chapter 9 and verse 5. As long as I am with you, I am the light of the world. Now, I like that. I like that. But then he said in Matthew five fourteen, you are the light of the world. I like John's version better than Matthew's version. You are the light of the world. And then two verses later, he shows us what this actually looks like. What does it look like to be the light of the world? It doesn't mean to light my, turn my phone on in a concert and wave it. What does it mean to be the light of the world? Here's what Jesus says. Let your light so shine, so shine before men, women too, In the culture, let your light shine before them. This isn't secret stuff. This is outdoor shiny stuff. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, your kind works, your selfless works, your Christ-like works, your merciful works, and glorify, not you, but the one in whose name you're doing all these good works, your Father in heaven among whom you shine as lights in this world. That's what followers of Christ do. The world is not our foe. It's our field. The dark present age... Is our stage. It's our backdrop to shine the light of God's love. And it's showtime, baby, it's showtime. And we are here to show. We are here to show, not condemn and criticize and judge. We are here to show the world the kindness and the goodness of our Heavenly Father. We are not here to bring judgment to the world. That's above our pay grade. We are here to bring mercy to the world. James said, chapter 2, verse 13, the little brother of Jesus wrote, mercy triumphs over judgment. Our message to this current culture is not condemnation. It's reconciliation. That's our message. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, And he gave this wonderful message of reconciliation. He's given us. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. The world is not our enemy. It's our embassy. There's a lot of ambassadors in this city. Caroline Kennedy, the daughter of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, is the American ambassador right here tonight in Canberra. This is a city of ambassadors. We are ambassadors of Christ, and God is making his appeal to this city through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead to Canberra, please come back to God. This is our mission, and this is our message. Now, I've been thinking a lot about what it truly means to follow Christ. If you, like me, have been to other nations and visited the church of Jesus in other nations, I remember three days that I spent with the underground church in China. I didn't even think I was a Christian after spending 72 hours with real Christians. I felt I needed to come home and get saved or something because I thought, I thought they, they, they asked me, would you teach us the Bible? Would you teach us the Bible? Please teach us the Bible. And I said, would you teach me how to love Jesus? I'll teach you the Bible if you'll teach me how to love Jesus because I thought I loved Jesus until I met you. Why is it that when I go to other nations so many times in so many places, I mean from China to Cambodia to India, it doesn't make any anywhere I've been in the world. It seems like the Christianity and the Christians that I meet in those nations are so much different than the Christians in the American church, Western world church. And I think it's because in the rest of the world, they invite people to follow Jesus. But in the Western world, we just invite people to believe in Jesus. Now, this evening, if you'll stay with me and if the Lord will help me, I want us. To understand a little bit more what it means to be a follower of Christ and not only a believer in Christ and so I want us to look tonight at the two sides of the coin of faith if if faith were a coin and I could flip that coin and hold it in my hand there would be two sides to it and I want us to look at these two sides of faith this evening the first side of the coin of faith is only if. It's an only if faith. I believe only if faith. The other side is even if. Even if. I believe even if kind of faith. And this is the difference between being a believer and a follower. Now we're all familiar with the story in the book of Daniel of the three Hebrew young men who would not bow down when they heard the music and the trumpets to the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. These three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo, and when the king heard that they weren't going to bow down because they only bowed to the Lord God to the king of the universe and not to a golden statue or a man well nebuchadnezzar was so angry he was furious and he called them into his presence and he said is this true and he, he could hardly speak he was speaking and he was spit, spittle like a like a preacher spitting on his he was spitting on his microphone. This is why, that's why the pulpit, that's why you know Pastor John put this pulpit way back here so we don't have to baptize anybody on the front row. He was angry. He was he was, mad. He was mad. He was mad enough to spit. And these three young men, here's what they say to this king, the mightiest man on earth. Chapter 3 of Daniel, verse 17 and 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace the god whom we serve is able to save us he will rescue us from your power your majesty but even if but even if he doesn't see see we're not loyal to him only if he does no no we're telling you right now sir We're telling you right now, your majesty, he can, we believe he will, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. We expect God to deliver us, but we don't serve him only if he does. We will serve him even if he doesn't. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And he talks how a farmer goes forth to sow the seed. We know the seed is the word of God. And he talks about the four kinds of soil the seed lands on. The the walking path, the thorny, the the, the rocky, and, and the good soil. And Jesus is explaining this parable to the disciples. And in Matthew 13 and verse 20 and 21, here's what Jesus said. The seed, the word on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Amen. Where do I sign up? This sounds too good to be true. All of this in heaven too? I'm in with joy immediately. But, but, since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They put their hand up. They prayed the prayer. They believe. They believe. They believe. But they don't last long. They fall away. As soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing. God's word. They are only if. Believers. Believers. I receive Jesus with joy and believe only if he fixes my problems and I'm not persecuted for what I believe. Only if. Only if faith is based on what God does. Even if faith is based on who God is. Only if faith is strong as long as God meets my expectations and answers my prayers and brings my breakthrough and acts like I think he's supposed to act. Even if faith is not based on my conditions, but on his character. Even if I don't understand. Even if I can't explain what's going on. Even if I don't know why. Now we hear stories today of famous Christians, worship leaders, Christian artists, authors, conference speakers, pastors, who have deconstructed their faith And who walked away and who no longer believe and they have fallen away just like those in the parable that Jesus spoke of. I read about another famous Christian this week who is now no longer, it's public, it's well known now and the mass media understand that he is no longer a Christian. They used to sing his songs and they used to share his story. And we know some of them. It's much easier to deconstruct and only if faith than it is to deconstruct and even if faith. I read this passage last night when we were talking about naming our darkness, calling our darkness night, and I want to read it again from Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17. Even if the fig tree doesn't blossom and there's no fruit on the vines. Not only if, Lord, I'm here, I'm for you, and I'm loyal. Only if the fig tree can blossom, and there's some fruit up, no. Even if the olive tree fails to produce, and the fields yield no food at all. Not only if they do, even if they don't. Even if the sheep vanish from the sheep pen. Even if I look around, and I'm thinking, where are the sheep? Where are How come the sheep haven't come back? Not only if they come back, Lord, even if they don't come back, even if there's no cows in the stalls, still I will rejoice in Adonai, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation, not only if, even if. Job did not understand what was going on in his life. One day he's serving God and everything's good. And the next day, calamity and catastrophe and tragedy strike all at once. The people literally are lined up. The bad news messengers are literally lined up outside of his door, letting him know that everything he loved, everything that was near and dear to him, was absolutely gone and destroyed. And he did not know what he had done wrong. What have I done? He didn't know what was going on. He didn't know why God wasn't acting like God is supposed to act. He did not know why everything in his life was coming apart. The best advice he got was from his wife, who said, just curse God and die. You see, Satan had said to God, Job only serves you because you bless him, and you prosper him, and you protect him. I'm telling you, his loyalty is only if. And yet, in Job 13, verse 15 He shouts with every ounce of breath he has left in his lungs, even if he killed me. Though he slay me. Even if he killed me. I'd keep on hoping. I'd defend my innocence to the end. Just wait. This is going to work out for the best and my salvation. Even if. David said in the 23rd Psalm and verse 4, even if I go through the deepest darkness, not only if you keep me from that place, God, even if, I go through the deepest darkness. I will not be afraid. Lord, you are with me. Your shepherd's rod and their and staff, they protect me. I am here for you. I am loyal to you. And I'm not loyal to you only if I am loyal to you even if. In the New Testament, Jesus invited the rich young ruler to follow him. In Luke 18 and verse 22, we know this young ruler recognized Jesus. He bowed down to him. He called him good master. He knew that Jesus had the key of eternal life, and he wanted to know what it was. He knew where to come. There was no doubt in his mind that he was in the right place talking to the right person. And Jesus talks to him about the law of Moses. And he says, I'm good, I'm good, good. yeah, I'm good. I'm sweet with the law of Moses. It's good, it's good. He's getting happy, he's getting blessed. And then Jesus says this to him in verse 22 of Luke 18. "There's There's still one more thing you need to do. Sell all you have and give the money to the poor. And you will have riches in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. He was very sad because he was very rich. Very sad, very rich. And in Matthew 9, 9, Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose up and followed him two responses to the same invitation the first was only if it doesn't cost me everything the second was even if it costs me everything A good friend of mine this past week said about only if and even if he said it sounds a little bit like the difference in marriage with the marriage contract compared to a marriage covenant you know if you look up if you type contract in uh you're going to get other words that come up like um given that you know it's, it's 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 a contract is only if given that, provided that, on the condition of, so long as. But marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It's a covenant. And a covenant is a whole lot of even if. Even if you've seen her hair in curlers. (laughs) We talked last night about, Carol and I, three weeks ago celebrated 47 years of marriage and I can tell you right now that girl would not stay married to me if it was only if she stays married to me even if even if he's a mug even 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 if even even if and I don't even want to keep going on this with thought because we could go down it down it for a while but it's but if you want to what's the what's the what's the key to longevity in marriage 47 years for us. I hope it works out. We're still working on it. We're going to keep going at it. But I can tell you the key to longevity in marriage is the same thing to the key to longevity in following Christ. It's even if. In John chapter 6. The beginning of that chapter opens with the most amazing miracle of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fishes and feeding 5,000 men. And we know there are women and children there and probably a lot more women and children than men. This amazing miracle is so astounding. It is so amazing that in verse 14, after the feeding and everybody's full and, and the baskets have been recollected, We read this in verse 14. Then those men... Now, there were 5,000 of those men. Listen to this. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did said, those 5,000 men said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Man, this is no different than what happened when the manna came down in the wilderness. This is the miracle. This is the prophet. This is the one. As a matter of fact, they were so moved and they were so convinced that the next verse tells us that Jesus had to secretly slip out of there because they were going to by force take him and make him the manna maker for the nation. They were by is going to take him and make him the king and so he literally slips out because these men now are totally convinced that this is the prophet that would come into the world by the miracle he had just done they ate they were filled and they were saying this is it and so jesus slips away sends the boys off in the boat has a little walk on the water they wake up the next morning and they're ready for the the breakfast miracle And they can't find him. Where did he go? Where did he go? He's in Capernaum. That's not far. Just some kilometers away. Easy walk. And he's in the temple. And the rest of John chapter 6 is just so fascinating. And they come to Jesus. They are serious. They're serious about making him king. And Jesus says to them, you know what? You seek me. Because you ate the loaves and were filled, and now it's breakfast time. I added that, but that's not too hard to see. And you know what those knotheads said to him? What sign do you perform that we may believe you? Breakfast. And they had just said A few verses before, they saw the sign. And they had just said, we're convinced we know that this is the prophet that is coming to the world. And now they're saying, do it again. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And then Jesus began to say, "This. you're here for bread that perishes. You're here for bread that, that, he said, I'm talking about bread. I'm talking about the true bread that came down from heaven. And it's me. It's me. And if anyone eats of this bread, they'll never be hungry again. That's what they had in mind, that they would never be hungry again. And so they said to him, well, give us of this bread. And Jesus says, you want this bread? You want this bread? I am the bread. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood. And they said in verse 60, Ooh, this is a hard saying. How can anyone accept it? Honestly, worst altar call ever, ever. Imagine Edie, a, a five thousand men, and you are and and you are giving the altar call, but the altar call isn't to come forward; it's to go out, and that's what. The, then we read the famous John six six six. John six 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 says. And from that time, many of his disciples deconstructed. They went back and walked with him no more. We will be you. We will believe you. We will be your disciples only if you provide the manna, you perform the miracle, and you placate and pacify the offense we've taken at the words you've just spoken. And we're in. And they walked away from him. And Jesus turns to the 12 and says, Do you want to go too? And Peter says, Lord, he doesn't say, where would we go? He says, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you. You are the Holy One from God. Lord, even if the crowd walks away from you, even if the most famous people I know deconstruct their faith, Lord even if you don't do another miracle Lord even if your sayings are hard to understand Lord we do not serve you and follow you only if we serve you and we follow you even if a frightened world needs a fearless church and a fearless church is not afraid to unflinchingly follow Jesus even if It's not popular. Even if we don't have all the answers. Even if the road is narrow and the path is difficult and the way is hard. Peter knew Jesus as well as anyone knew Jesus. Peter lived with him. A thousand days and probably had two or three thousand meals with Jesus. He knew Jesus. And in his epistle, here's what he says to those who would follow. I'm gonna ask you to stand as I read this passage of Scripture. First Peter chapter two and verse 21. For God called you to do good, our city's waiting for it. Our city's waiting for it, for us to do good, outside the walls, to do good. For God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Even if. And then he said this, and I'll close with this. In chapter 3, in verse 14, he said, Even if you should suffer. See, believers don't want to do that, but followers will. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear, fearless church, nor be troubled. So, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help me examine my heart right now. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you examine your heart right now. And if I were to have a scale in front of me, from one to 10, and one is believer, 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 follower, believer, follower, 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 believer, follower, follower, follower. I wonder if the Holy Spirit would help me find myself on that scale so that he could help me move myself to where I need to be. Now, we don't need fire to come down tonight. We just need a revelation. Although a fire comes, I welcome it in Jesus' name. I like fire. But maybe what we need tonight is revelation. And that's also the work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask every head to bow. Thank you, team. Come, please. I'm going to ask you to think about your heart, your life. Nobody knows your heart like you. Nobody can judge you accurately or honestly. Only you know your own heart. Only I know my own heart. But I believe the Lord would have us leave this place tonight as totally committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my goal. That's my passion. That's my vision for my own life is that I would be a totally committed follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he would help you as you're honest with yourself, because nobody else is looking at that scale except you and him. And wherever you find yourself tonight, would you let the Holy Spirit take you by the hand and move you further and move you further? Would you do that right now, Holy Spirit? Would you just do that right now in this building, Holy Spirit? Would you help me right now to see what I need to see? Help me, Holy Spirit, to be what I need to be. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I want my marriage to finish well. I want my ministry to finish well. I want my life to finish well. Lord, I want to finish well. Where you lead, I'll follow. Move, Holy Spirit. Move, move, Holy Spirit, I pray.